which is likely to leave the refs coming under even more scrutiny than they already do. They don't come under scrutiny at all if they get the call right the first time around, so they <laughs> better at their they jobs. They just have to get better. <laughs> yeah. stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things NFL we just had the championship round of games which didn't exactly go how I would like to them have but you know what it's okay we've got plenty of news to get through we've got the most important game of all the Pro Bowl coming up and we're also going to review the games that happened just there on Sunday night so hey we got Connor here and we've got Ronan hello are we getting on any crack yeah, uh, all right uh, I also stayed up to watch too much football and then regretted <laughs> it the next day no, of course. Uh, yeah, I also had a lot of fun on the weekend. As we'll talk about it when we get to the games, a little bit unhappy with the results, but overall they were a great set of games and it was a very exciting, kind of just exciting football, to be honest. Shout out to the Dublin Rebels and the Odeon who... Myself and a couple of the mates went down to their screenings for it, and it was very good. The only downside is they were only serving Budweiser, because Budweiser were the sponsor. So you ended up drinking Budweiser for the whole night, which was not great. I mean, like, you know, if Budweiser want to sponsor us, it's great, go for it. But uh, well, no, it's it's fucking water. Like, was it just full on Budweiser? Or did you have Bud Light too? No, just Budweiser. It was Budweiser oh. and Guinness were the only things that were serving, and I think they had like pint bottles of some kind of cider. So yeah. we were just flat on the uh, flat on the Budweiser all night. I certainly wouldn't mix Budweiser and Guinness, that would be... Uh... No, no, the the shits would be unbelievable. <laughs> so I suppose we'll move into a bit, some of the bits of news from our league. As always, the carousel of changing coordinators and coaches is always ongoing. So Miami and Cincinnati have still yet to hire their head coaches. They are expected to hire New England defensive coach Brian Flores and uh, Rams quarterback coach Zach Taylor as their head coaches. Uh, but obviously... Due to the results, they're going to have to wait until Super Bowl 53 is completed and in the books. Miami are also going to hire linebackers coach uh, Patrick Graham as their defensive coordinator. Another defensive coordinator with like New England credentials, I believe. And yeah. Cincinnati are expected to hire quarterbacks coach Brian Callahan as their offensive coordinator. So out of these, well, I suppose the Miami and Cincinnati ones yet to happen. We have mentioned that beforehand. Do you like the... Miami hires or the Cincinnati like do, do you like those OC and DC positions or yeah well I think they're the main thing about them is that they're both unexpected of course you know you're talking about Brian Flores a defensive coach this is his DC more of a lieutenant position and similar for Zach Taylor though we know a lot less about Zach Taylor Brian Callan might actually have more experience than him really like they're about the mm. same uh, profile I don't know if coming from Oakland is necessarily a great situation but like Callahan's had some success in the past but last year is probably not why he got hired i believe there's a family connection is why uh that's expected to happen Fair as there enough. always is in the nfl oh yeah dallas has fired their offensive coordinator scott linehan because i suppose they have to do something the rumors indicate that their quarterbacks coach kellen moore will get promoted to the see is that kellen moore like the ex-quarterback kellen moore? yeah and oh, apparently okay. their new their new quarterback coach if that happened is likely to be john kittner really yeah so it's dallas yeah, I don't know if their offensive coordinator was the one who was at fault. Like, I think just overall, they're a very meh yeah, scenario. It's, like, it's the same. Unless, so, they uh, change that, unless they change that head coach, Garrett, like, nothing's really moving here, right? And, yeah, it was a sort of situation where I think the initial reports were after the elimination that they were going to keep Scotland. And I think I saw multiple rumor posts about that. But yeah. this kind of sounds like Jerry might have uh, decided change has to happen because reasons... And Scott Linehan was the easiest person to fire because obviously the defensive coordinator 
is, it was pretty good. He made like that defense pretty good. And Jason Garrett is his golden boy. So Scotland hints the odd man out. And yeah, like they do play a pretty vanilla scheme. But whether that's because he's a bad play caller or just because they have Ezekiel Elliott and their quarterback is Dak Prescott, that just kind of lends itself to that type of scheme is an open question. I, yeah. I, I have no idea if this will change anything, but it's the Cowboys that they have to get attention somehow throughout the entire offseason. No, of course. Uh, Detroit have hired former Seattle offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel to be their OC. Denver have hired former San Francisco 49ers QB coach Rich Scangarello. Scangarello. Scangarello as, yeah. uh, as their offensive coordinator. And Tennessee have promoted tight ends coach Arthur Smith to being offensive coordinator. That's a weird one, isn't it? Is it just like you did well with Delaney Walker, please fix the rest of our players? Yeah, I think it's a continuity hire. Obviously, they lost Matt Lafleur. Obviously, that was a new offense that was brought in. And obviously, they have a defensive-minded coach. So I think they just wanted continuity. And of course, it is it is well publicized now that Mariota has had, I think, a new OC every year. So they're yeah. hoping that, well, at least if we keep someone who was operating under Lafleur, then perhaps at least he'll be playing in the same scheme, keep it simple for him. Scangarello is apparently pretty highly touted because San Francisco, obviously, they've had success kind of getting good results out of poor quarterbacks or like backup quarterbacks and he joins the kind of Italian revolution over there with Vic Fangio et al and Daryl Bevel obviously is a Seahawks fan I have a lot of experience with him a lot of criticism because Seahawks fans like criticizing their offensive coaches no matter what I don't know how much of his scheme in Seattle was influenced by his own decisions and how much was Pete Carroll but he's certainly someone who has had some success but Detroit it's kind of an uncertain situation. Not many weapons there. We'll see if he can turn that offense around after what was a really poor 2018. No, of course. Arizona have, are expected to not have an offensive coordinator. Just have Cliff Kingsbury being play caller. Have hired Tom Clements as their quarterback's coach slash pass game coordinator. Okay. Right. <laughs> Usually, like, these college coaches have to, like, have a little bit of success before they're allowed to just take over every position. Yeah, the, I was like, the like team. I, I can't think of the last time someone did this and it worked. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're all kind of looking at Arizona right now and wondering what's happening. No, and the other bit of news on that would be uh, Baltimore have extended head coach John Harbaugh, which, to be honest, was to be expected. Yeah, very, lots of rumors. Obviously, this is mostly in response to those mid-season swoon ideas that he might have been leaving the club. But after that, a fairly good way to end the season, albeit the wildcard didn't go as expected. It's, yeah, it would be stupid too. Like with all the teams that were like basically salivating at the amount of the opportunity to get a coach like John Harbaugh, uh, I think they're making the right decision here. Yeah, like whenever you hear the crap that uh, Jerry Jones comes out and says like, oh, if we were to get rid of our guy, he'd have five job offers a day. It's like, that's not true about Jason Garrett, but that is almost certainly true about John Harbaugh. Oh yeah, definitely. So we'll move on to having a look at some of the injuries. The only one to really note is reports indicate that safety Eric Berry may need additional surgery in the offseason. So I knew he was going in to get a surgery done on this uh, bone spur that he has. Is this the yeah. same surgery? surgery? So I don't know how much you know about this bone spur thing he has, but basically it's underneath his Achilles tendon, so you need to chop that open to get at it and then ah. sand it down and then reattach it with an expected recovery of about, I think, six to eight months it's it, it it's probably worth talking about just simply because he you know he's obviously someone who since that opening game against New England has been so injury prone and yeah. yeah if if this is if what you're saying is true and he could easily miss basically all of the preseason and, and hoping to be back for the the new season then yeah, that's that's just, roughly where I think he will be so this yeah. is where there's been a lot of controversy with the fan base about they knew about this and they know that he can play through it it's a pain management issue 
but essentially that idea of like was it worth the game well I, th- well I think essentially two and a half games but like one game in the playoffs that he actually played in for him to not just have gone and gotten the surgery early on last year and then be here fully healthy for next year instead of now being another question mark going into the start of the season yeah and obviously this is a team which is going to have a lot of players looking for contracts this offseason and probably next offseason and the offseason yeah. after so obviously, I believe they can't really cut him. They'd have to do like a post June first designation to save yeah. much money. But um, that's obviously something to keep an eye on as the off season progresses. Yeah, from what I gather, he is not one that we can really cut this year. But the following year, it looks like it's something it will be possible to do because there's a lot of backloaded money in that contract. We'll move on, I suppose, and have a look at controversy corner. So we're quite sure of how to put this together this week. So we just said definitely not the refs. That's definitely <laughs> not what was controversial. I think the main one I want to talk about in that is probably from the Saints game, to be honest. There was an absolutely brutal hit on a wide receiver that was possibly the most evident P.I. call that I think we've ever seen not called. And it kind of decided the outcome of that game to a certain extent that if that if that pass is is caught, it's a very different complexion on the game. Yes? Yeah, and it's a situation where all of the actors have now basically said, yeah, that should have been called. I don't know what the hell happened. Obviously, there's now conspiracy theories going around showing, oh, these refs are from Southern California. What a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And lots of other things like that. And a talk, uh, like someone finding an obscure rule in the NFL, in the NFL rule book saying, oh, the commissioner can force them to replay. Unfortunately, in the very next article, it says, basically, if it's a ref's decision, it's not reviewable. Please go away, basically. Uh, but like, like you're looking at a situation where, obviously, it's really controversial. Obviously, it's so magnified just because of the situation. And there, there's not really much that you can do about that. I suppose for New Orleans in particular, because of the Minneapolis miracle last year, it kind of feels like a cursed team. But Yeah, you know, twice, twice in a row. I think, I think the, the key with this is, like, one, it's terrible that, these kind of decisions can decide a game in that kind of way. But the big thing for me is that like, and I heard, I heard a couple of talking heads discussing this before. And like, if this happens in a week five game between, I don't know, like the bills and like Miami or something, everyone goes, that's a bit shitty, but nothing ever gets followed up on it. Whereas now, because it's on this big stage, it's a lot more kind of focused on. And there's a lot more chance for an actual movement in what the rules and regulations are. Like this is clearly the fact that you can't challenge a no call like that is problematic. If this type of thing can happen and it's not reviewable and they can't just get it sorted, albeit be it with a challenge from the, from the sidelines, be it with a challenge from a central video referee, like they have in other sports like rugby and things like that. Like the fact that it takes the championship game to be decided by a fuck-up for them to have any impetus to try and fix a rule that we've said for a number of years has not been functional. Yeah, and it's just a situation where they are, like, I think the reason they do this is to protect the refs to a certain extent, like, they, because they know that in the NFL, we're obviously, unlike in, say, rugby, where you can kind of allow things to go on and then bring it back if if the video ref sees something going on. In a sport like the NFL, where every each play is so distinct and separate, what would happen is that the game could easily get mired in these very long reviews, which obviously aren't great football. Like we already have lots of reviews for like touchdowns and stuff, which take ages. They detract from the sport, so there is a bit of a balancing act there. But maybe then there's a situation like 
the, the threshold of evidence perhaps needs to be reached where it's like, oh, it's very obvious that this happened. You should you made a mistake there. But like once you open that Pandora's box, there's no doubt uh, like it will lead to a lot of situations. Like I think there's a quote from Bill Belichick in 2014 saying every single play should be reviewable. Yeah. Maybe there's some merit there, but I do think for the sport as a spectacle, there is a lot of replaying already. So I can understand why they're not keen to open up another situation, especially one which is likely to leave the refs coming under even more scrutiny than they already do. They don't come under scrutiny at all if they get the call right the first time round. So they <laughs> better at their they jobs. They just have to get better. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, yeah, they just need to do their fucking job and then this wouldn't be an issue. On to crime and punishment. There's strong indications out there that Kareem Hunt will have suitors once he hits free agency. So this is the Kansas City running back who was caught in an altercation with a woman at a hotel, removing her from, I think, a party in his room, and then he kicked and hit her. A video came out on TMZ about it, so the team cut ties with him. They're still awaiting what the NFL's punishment will be, as I think they're pending investigation on three separate incidents it's expected that he'll be missing a minimum of six games with potentially more games next year but a number of teams including the bears have come out and said that they would be interested in signing him when he is allowed back into the league i suppose this is kind of to be expected given that he was a very productive player and was on a rookie contract so will be cheap as chips and to be honest a lot of the morality that these organizations have are we care up until the point that you are too valuable for us to not turn a blind eye yeah like the number of second chances you get is directly proportional to how talented you are kareem hunt it's hard to know how how talented he is because that casey offense we saw with damian williams has operated pretty well without him so i just think a situation where there's certain teams will look at this and obviously there's enough there's enough andy reed alumni right now in the league to be like well we can definitely do as well or, or similar with him and obviously you get him for basically nothing because of both yeah, his early contract years, but obviously this controversy being putting the majority of the league probably off him. But if he ended up getting like like a decent contract because there ended up being a bidding war, that's probably where the controversy would get the worst. What's, what's going to be remarkable, and because this is the thing, like once he gets signed anywhere, this is going to be the case. He's going to come out monetarily better off because he was a third round pick. He was due to make, I think, $545,000 next year. Like, he's going to get more than a third-round pick income when he hits free agency. Outside of the fact that, like, if he misses seven games, they'll only pay him for half the season. Yeah. But his his base salary on a season-by-season basis will increase. Yeah, and that'll probably get picked up and uh, it'll become a bit of an issue. But Yeah, I think that's I think that's it. And I think, I think what we might see is we might see him trying to save face by saying, look, I'm going to take my base level of what I had and anything I earned on top goes to a domestic abuse charity or something along those lines. But, like... Yeah, I can see this getting real messy whenever he's allowed back into the league. Because, like we said, he's talented enough and young enough that someone's going to take a, going to give him a pass or at least give him a chance. And uh, of course, there's always the alternative uh, career of being a UFC fighter. Uh, oh yes, that always Greg, goes. Greg Hardy getting disqualified on his first UFC bout. That's a uh, highly appropriate, one might say. Move on to some trades, extensions, etc. Houston have extended uh, Central Henderson, the OT, for one year, $4.2 million maximum on the contract. Don't know what's guaranteed on that. Uh, Buffalo have extended Lorenzo Alexander, and again, one year, $4.5 million max, not $45 million max. That'll be a <laughs> hell of a lot of incentives in a one-year contract. Uh, Pittsburgh safety Morgan Burnett has requested a release from the team. He said that he feels he's being played out of position because I think they have him playing kind of a nickel corner kind of spot, and he wants to return to safety. And he's basically 
I think he's got two years left on his contract and he's yeah. requested to get out. And it, to be honest, like it seems to an extent like the sky is falling in that Pittsburgh. Yeah, and like I know I've been up on them as like like they'll turn it around, but yeah, that's another issue. Although to be fair to Morgan Burnett, he was in Green Bay, a Swiss Army knife. That's what he was known for. So it's a bit weird he's now complaining about like he, he obviously must have got guarantees or indicated from Pittsburgh that they wanted to play him as a safety and when things changed uh, due to injury mostly uh, he's obviously disappointed about that we'll see if Pittsburgh release him or not uh, I don't think they will unless they they line up someone more worthwhile pretty yeah. soon no of course and finally Seattle this is the big news of signed quarterback Paxton Lynch to a futures contract which means he might be on your practice squad I believe yeah although the quality of backups that Seattle has kind of uh, rolled out with in the last few seasons has been uh Somewhat questionable. Austin Davis rings the mind. Uh, Trevon Boykin, who was a bad person and not a very good quarterback. Mm. Like it's not. A, it, it would not be beyond the beyond the, poss- the rounds of possibility that Paxton Lynch is backing up Russell Wilson uh, next year, uh, <laughs> which doesn't make me nervous at all. <laughs> I would have thought they play very different styles and it's a weird choice for the back. But I suppose given that your your plan at the moment seems to be to just not have Russell Wilson throw, like that's a strength. Paxton Lynch is at his best when he's not passing. Yeah, he, he probably ne- learned how to hand off the ball pretty well in Denver. Our other bit of news is the international series matchups have been announced and boy am I underwhelmed. <laughs> uh, Mexico City get a great game. Kansas City at the LA Chargers. That'll be a real fun game for them to have on that terrible pitch that won't be working. And then we'll have to just play another away game. London have received Carolina at Tampa Bay. Yeah. What do you think? Like, there'll be some, 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 like, there's some good pieces, but like, like Bruce Arians trying to salvage the tail end of Winston's rookie contract versus will Cam Newton actually even be playing? Yeah, it's a bit, it's not very. It's not very tempting right now. They're both just teams that you're kind of like, like you can't really see them getting more than 10 wins, even if everything went right for them. Maybe Carolina, yeah. there's a little bit more there. But yeah, they're just both teams that like, yeah, I'm not sure they're going to play great football. Like Tampa Bay, they're, like they might have a chance to turn around and at least last season played a kind of swashbuckling, if you've heard the pun. Yeah, <laughs> way of playing. And I don't think that'll change in the Bruce Arians. So at least they should be fun on offense. Whether they're terrible defensively fixed or not is a completely different question. Chicago at Oakland is a very strong Chicago team going against the conundrum of what the fuck is this Oakland Raiders team. Now, there, there's there's a chance for this to be entertaining because they do have like 25 picks in the draft and they could be fielding a very exciting team of rookies or they could also be tanking hard again. Uh, Chicago, can Mitch Trubisky develop? They do have Khalil Mack and he's in a revenge game kind of scenario here, but like that feels like it'll be a one-sided game. You see, like a revenge game probably has more juice when... You didn't end up getting traded to a team that's far better and having a much better season because they yeah. did it to you. So it's more like a belated fuck you game, basically, yeah. <laughs> for him, which is kind of a revenge game, but there's no thing to really revenge. Like we saw the Oakland game in London this year was terrible as the Seahawks basically walked all over them. Maybe Oakland will have turned it around. They have enough picks to do it, but you, you kind of expect Oakland, if they do go full draft mode, are likely to be an extremely raw, but maybe a little bit more fun, but Chicago. Yeah. There's no reason to believe they can't be you know, roughly as good as they were this season. No, of course. Cincinnati at the LA Rams. It's a mismatch on paper. The Cincinnati Bengals do have talent on that roster, and they do have a change in coaching, finally, after what feels like several decades. They've got youth. They've got AJ Green. They've got Joe Mixon. They've got Andy Dalton, if he plays well, has played to a high level. He's just not consistent at it. But 
again, this feels like a bit of a one-sided game. Yeah, and it, it will be a revenge game, assuming report, like assuming our Cincinnati information is correct for Zach Taylor going up against his former his his former yeah. head coach. Although I think Zach Taylor's actually like two years older than Sean McVay, but hey, what can you do? <laughs> so like that's probably the only intrigue I can think of. Maybe like I I, I don't I, like I can see Cincinnati turning around, but. The Rams, obviously, the way they have and the talent that they have, I think they can probably they'll probably be good next year. So it has that feel of maybe being a blowout. Yeah. And certainly, Cincinnati are one of those teams that you're never really that surprised when they get blown out, even when they have the good teams. They always have one yeah. good game. No, and I just course. I don't think they'll travel well to be honest. Even though no. the Rams are traveling further. And then finally, Houston at Jacksonville. Like Houston, Houston were a wet fart of a playoff team. Like they just they shouldn't have been there. Jacksonville. Maybe if they hire Nick Foles and it goes well, like they do have the pieces outside of the like ridiculous like waste of space that is their quarterback situation, and whether or not Leonard Fournette will still be with the team because they're trying to fuck him. I don't think I'm going to bother getting tickets to any of these games. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, but the, but the one thing is that the tickets will probably be easy. Like all these games will probably be similar to that uh, Chargers Tennessee game where you can get tickets um, relatively cheap and short notice. But yeah. uh, you know, as a as a Europe-based Kansas City fan, to first have that Sunday night, and then oh, they're in international series in Mexico. Yeah. Like the hits kept on coming uh, early this week for you guys. Uh, oh. So yeah. uh, we send out our our hopes and dreams to you for a, a more fun off season. <laughs> Lots of really cheap extensions for all those players you need to keep. Oh yeah. With. Well, see, uh, Mahomes will be heading off to the Pro Bowl and, to be honest, will probably be spending quite a bit of his time at the Pro Bowl trying to attract some free agents who are across like, hey, look how fun this is. Come do this like on a more permanent basis over with us. And I suppose with that, we'll move on and have a look at the games from last week. So first up, we have the LA Rams at New Orleans Saints, 26-23 to in overtime. We already had a chat about the PI gate and how... New Orleans has a lot to be annoyed about when it comes to the referees. This was a very strange game because the Rams came out of the gate so slowly in this game. Like, the, I think their first series went interception fumble? Was it something along those lines? Yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty dire overall. Yeah, uh, like they just weren't able to get anything going whatsoever. And it looked like there was absolutely nothing happening until I believe it was a fake punt that they did in the second quarter. And yeah. that was that was really what kind of got them going at that point. Which like, is funnily, like it's almost uh, an exact copy of what happened for the Saints last week where they had that fake punt to kind of get them going as well. Yeah, like Goff had a good day overall, like 20, 25 of 40 after a shaky start for nearly 300 yards and a touchdown. He was also a bit strange because Todd Gurley, who was kind of the engine of that offense, even though CJ Anderson had been doing the job for the last couple of weeks, uh, he was in there, but he ma- kept making mistakes and couldn't play particularly well. He still got a touchdown, but he was benched for most of this game and said afterwards it wasn't due to injury. It's because he just wasn't in the right headspace and wasn't deserving of being on the field. So it's interesting to see the Rams be able to get it done while missing what was a key piece of their offense in, in, in the games that got them here so far. Do you think that that means that there's an additional element they can bring in the next game that they can reintroduce the run game to an extent? Or is this something where you think that this focus on more of a pass-heavy game will be what we're going to see from them moving forward? I'm, I'm interested to see what their game plan in the Super Bowl is. Uh, like obviously Todd Gurley says he's not injured, but we do know he's coming off injury. He missed the last two weeks of the regular season where they yeah. rested him. Obviously that could be playing a part, and obviously the fact that C.J. Anderson has come in, played pretty well in his stead, 
and offers kind of more of a physical running down your throat approach. It, it has been good, and apparently C.J. Anderson's a good teammate on the field and has been helping Jared Goff understand football, calling out plays, etc. But it's just a situation where, yes, I think like they got lucky here that they could get away with not really doing anything in the first half, more or less, except for the final drive where they got a touchdown. Uh, but I think it's what's worrying is that like like New Orleans had plenty of chances, as we'll talk about soon, to kind of go up early in that game, thanks to those mm-hmm. turnovers, but and would have been a deeper hole. But in this case, they did turn it around, and similar like to the Dallas game, where they were a little bit up and down, and they kind of been like this for the last month or so. Like they had to end up relying on Goff, and Goff is just one of these quarterbacks that you look at. Like he did make some really good throws, particularly in the second half, and even in the in overtime. Like you think about second last play of actual of his of his of the game for him, where he kind of spun out of a sack basically with Cam Jordan down his throat and managed to make a pass to the tight end. And it's just a situation where like I like I like like Goff when he looks good, looks really good. The kind of things he can do is amazing. But you still wonder. Does he does he get the game? Like how he's still a little bit over reliant on Sean McVay to kind of do the thinking for him. And there was in this game, like in every game you'd see with Goff, like there was a couple of occasions where they had to take timeouts and basically, you know, they couldn't yeah, Sean McVay and, couldn't hear him because he couldn't and hear is, Sean and, that, and that was one of the things that you could see we were discussing it early on in the game. The crowd noise was getting to them. There was an issue with the with the receiver and his headset for him to be able to talk to. And they were just making an absolute hames of it whenever he didn't have Sean McVay in his ear up until that 10 or 15 seconds before the snap to tell him what adjustments to make and to like kind of inform him what he was meant to be doing. The difference in quality whenever he was getting that information and when he wasn't was just remarkable and does make you wonder how much of this is the quarterback and how much of this is the coach. Yeah. Like, the coach is obviously amazing. Like, obviously, I don't think anyone doubts Sean McVay's ability to scheme and play. But, you know, like, as we'll talk about in the next game, the difference between having a quarterback who can make adjustments on the fly and can't is absolutely huge, particularly if it's a loud stadium like this. Like, I just think it's a situation where, like, Goff has all the talent in the world. But once again, we ask, does he have it in between, you know, in the cranium, like, in between the years? Is he really that good a quarterback? Is he able... Does he have the capacity to turn into uh, a Peyton Manning, a Tom Brady, someone like that who can control the game himself and bring his team forward? And, you know, they're they're like, you know, at some point they're going to have to pay him a lot of money as a former number one overall pick and as a good quarterback. But you'd wonder that when the supporting pieces start to drop off, will he be able to keep this up? You know, for now they're going to the Super Bowl. So he gives a fuck about that. Like, yeah, like the, the (laughs) the only two notes to really look at is Drew Brees. Well, he looked okay in the first half. He did make a lot of mistakes, missed a lot of downfield passes here, and there's question marks over. Like, we saw it at the back end of the season throughout December. He didn't look as good or as sharp, and it is that idea of, you know, the kind of very sharp-looking decline where a lot of people say that it's not even just the, like, being older. It's that whenever you hit that age, you can't do it for 17 or 18 games. You need to actually take some time off. You can't have that wear and tear in the body. But that's in part due to potentially a decline of breeze, but also this Rams defense was stepping up. The difference whenever they have Tlaib in there rather than Peters being on the number one at all times seems to make a big difference to their like to their secondary. The again Sue playing excellently, Donald playing excellently. This is a defense that's peaking at just the right time, isn't it? Yeah, like I think that's gonna be a huge issue because we know that New England are kind of a run heavy game uh team right now and and the the LA Rams defense and to be fair the New Orleans defense as well did a really good job of shutting down the respective run games like their only chink in their armor was really was Kamara like who kept going out on wheel routes and the like 
and they, they had linebackers and defensive ends on him and he, well, he just made them look foolish. So that's one worry for them. We'll talk about this in the Super Bowl preview, but obviously New England have James White, so you'd wonder maybe you'll see a bit more of him as is customary now in the Super Bowl. But besides that, they shut down the run. They shut down Michael Thomas. They they basically were good in all aspects. So if they could just deal with that one wrinkle that they, they couldn't deal with Alvin Kamara coming out of the backfield on pass play, then like, there's really no weakness here. And obviously Wade Phillips has done a great job of making this defense peak just when they need it um, after what was a pretty shaky season considering the talent level. No, of course. So we'll move on to the other game then, uh, the AFC Championship. This is New England at Kansas City, 37-31 to 31 in overtime. This was kind of a bit of a masterclass put on by Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. They started the game out with their longest drive of playoff history for them as a team. I think it was just about eight minutes long or so of just running it down their neck. I think it took 17 plays or something like that. It was excellent. And then they finished out the game the exact opposite of like a quick precision passing game to tear us apart in a completely different way. So, you know, they, they, they did do a very good job here. We said going into this that this was going to be an issue of KC have probably the more talented team and New England have the ability to scheme. And you saw that in the first half, they shut out Kansas City entirely. But then the adjustments came in in the second half. Kansas City had adjusted to what they were being given and suddenly came out and scored 31 points to drive it to overtime there was a lot of kind of ticky tacky calls in this a lot of decisions so you know just to point to some of them the Edelman did he muff the bound or not the catch that was given to Hogan that looked like it was off the ground flags against Chris Jones but also like there was missed um, there was missed PI calls against the Chiefs as well there was lots of just stuff going on it was I thought, it, to be honest, it was very messy. Not a, not incredibly dissimilar from some other games that the Chiefs have played and the, the it starts to get a little bit like that. But it seemed that initially they were staying a bit hands-off and then they got involved. And from the point they got involved, they kept giving makeup plays on either side of the ball to everyone to the point that it just got a little bit messy in my head. Mahomes looked very bad. I don't want to say bad, but like he was not able to figure out what New England were giving him in that first half. Like They were coming down the middle. They were pressuring at all the right times. They weren't letting him get anything done. What was it in the second half that they were able to do that allowed them to get back into the game, given that they were 14 nothing down going into the half? Well, I think it's just a case where you know New England are obviously the masters of understanding the exact weaknesses on both sides of the balls of the other team. They'd obviously done a lot of homework on Pat Mahomes. They kind of get him to like kind of rush out of the pocket. And as talked about by Tony Romo, who was probably the MVP of this game, yeah. uh, <laughs> as the commentator, force him to go where their players are expecting. They're almost like hurting him to a certain extent. I think in the second half, New England probably, they kind of backed off a little bit. But I also think obviously Andy Reid and Bien-Ami probably just sat him down and say like, you know, this is what they're doing. Make sure you don't do that. But to be fair, like the Chiefs offense, even in the second half, like it wasn't what I would call consistent. It was characterized by a couple of drives, which ended up not really going anywhere. But mm-hmm. when the drive got going, like it was for like, here's a 50 yard pass. Here's like a, uh, like, here's like a wheel route that goes for like 30 yards for a touchdown. Like, it's just like the fact that Patrick Mahomes is so ridiculously talented and Andy Reid does such a good job. It's, it's such a talented play caller. And I don't blame him for the first half because... They only had like, I think, three or four drives and New England did an excellent job getting pressure on Mahomes quickly before he could do anything. But even in the, like, and the only play of note in the first half was like a 50-yard bomb to, like, to Tyreek Hill. So it's just a situation yeah. where the, the KC offense was kept off the field enough that they, they could only get so many points, as it were. 
But whenever they were on the field for any length of time, they were always just, you're always like, like the next play could easily be like a touchdown. The next play could easily go for 30, like 30 yards. And it's just happened to be in this game that despite the fact that they did lots of those plays, especially in the fourth quarter, uh, because they'd given up that lead, they were 14 zero down uh, after the first half that it ended up that hole ended up being enough for new england to push it to overtime and then obviously you know executing an absolutely precise uh and ruthless drive to finish out the game so it's no, just of course. Joke, like like every time kc got a drive going there was an explosive play they just needed enough like actual plays to do it and that didn't happen enough for them just because new england were so good especially in the first half like this is the thing like new england if you want to get an idea of like just how much they were keeping Kansas City off the field. They had double the amount of plays that the Kansas City Chiefs had on offense. They had 94 to our 47. They had 520 yards of offense when we had 290 yards of offense. They had double the amount of first downs. They had 36 to our 18. Like, that was the kind of way they were playing, and it was it was very interesting to see. But then, when you look at the Kansas City Chiefs defense, it did have a couple of good moments. It got some interceptions and stuff. But the problem was, especially in that fourth quarter, they were sitting in terrible alignments, allowing too much space for the... New England to do anything. New England went 13 of 19 on third downs. You can't have that and have success in this league. Um, even when we look at like the the, the the interceptions or like the big pushes or like, cause we didn't see a sack in this game as well. We did see the odd hurry, but we didn't say anything like that. Even when we see the interceptions, those were standout physical plays by individual players. Those were not scheme interceptions. Those were dirty Dan Sorensen just, pulling it out there was and also like like the le- the less said about the one that was nullified by chris jones lining up <laughs> offside the better so it was d4 actually oh, sorry uh, d4 yes d4 lining up offside the better because i swear to god i was just like no you've got to be oh you've got to be fucking kidding me <laughs> like you know you literally have a game essentially a game winning interception and then no 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 one of your players decided he's going to line up a foot offside, yeah. which he has never done the entire year except for that one moment. Yeah, and we talked about it in the, in, in the preview that we thought you have to get physical with these New England receivers because they're just not that good, in our opinion, if you get physical with them. They're not, like, especially Edelman. And ironically, it was New England who ended up being physical. They kind of took Tyreek Hill out of the game by playing press and on, on like, a very, like, a, I think over 30% of the time. But, like, again and again, especially, as you say, in the fourth quarter where these teams were just, like, trading, like, quick TD drives going back and forth. Like, don't forget, like, Casey were down. Like, Casey went up with, like, the two-minute warning just about to come. New England score a touchdown. Then Casey, in 30 seconds with left on the clock, get a field goal to tie this back up. Like, that's, like, it's just, like, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a... You know, it's 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 like it's ridiculous what these two offenses were doing at stages. But like for KC, Edelman again and again was just left untouched to run across the middle of the field and get ten yards uh, like nearly every time. And on third down, on third down in overtime, that like that's that's what was worse. But this was happening all game as well. Exactly. Like this is the thing. If you want to see why Bob Sutton, it's real simple. Go online and look at what our defensive formations were in overtime. Whatever they had, I think it was third and nine. Right, third and nine. We're playing two high safeties 10 yards beyond the fucking sticks. So we're lining up two of our defenders 20 yards deep when they need nine yards. What the fuck are you doing if that's what you're planning to do? You're never going to get success with that. Yeah, and New England in this game, they they reintroduced Gronk as well. He had a decent game after basically doing nothing for a month. And, you know, it, it's like we talked about Eric Berry early on, but obviously one of the huge plays in this game 
was a conversion to Gronk that got them down like for a touchdown uh, to to, yeah. to to get them up in, in in the last few moments of the game. And it was just a situation where like, well, Eric Berry obviously is a great player, but he hasn't played at all this year. And yet you're putting him one-on-one with Gronk when like, th- like the defense, when it looked good on the place they stopped to set up those long third down and long, like they were bracketing out Edelman. They were bracketing out Gronk and all that was left was Dorsett, who was okay, and Cordell Patterson, who can't catch the ball usually. Yeah. So, and there was mul- like there was a couple of plays where Cordell Patterson just dropped the ball because he's not good at that part of the job. And you're yeah. like, well, why didn't you just force him to do that? Why did you leave these guys open? And yeah, like after this, like they had those big plays, as you said, caused by the talent there, like a red zone interception, another interception, an interception that was called back, obviously. But as you said, like just that scheming, leaving these obvious things open. And obviously you're looking across the field at this like defensive genius in Bill Belichick who's making the absolute maximum of every single player he has. And you're like, why doesn't mine look like that? Yeah, and like, like this is the thing. Like We talked about Tony Romo being the MVP. There was a section in the overtime where he called just straight all six plays that New England were going to do as they watched it. So, well, this is what they're presenting us, so this is what's going to happen. A guy who is out of the league and is being paid to be a commentator can sit there and immediately go, well, this is what they're going to do here. This is real obvious. And then they're going to do this as well. I'll be correct on every single one of those. That means that it is something that you can predict and it is something that if you know what the fuck you're doing, you can actually try and scheme for. But Bob Sutton doesn't know how to do do any of those yeah. things at all now I will say I do sound a bit angry here because I'm a bit annoyed because there's mistakes that have happened <laughs> one of the things I will say though is I like I don't blame the refs for for the mistakes there were some mistakes in this game but realistically the thing is if you if you just look at it if Kansas City had scored a single point in the first half we would have been winning that game if we had taken a bit if we'd actually taken the shot at like I think there was was it 14 seconds left in the game in the fourth quarter we could have taken another deep shot just to see if we could get it and then kick the field goal I know it was fear of taking a sack because we'd had a couple of large sacks and taking us out of field goal range but I think you could have taken one more deep shot there at the time that was left I think there are mistakes that Kansas City made to to stop themselves from winning this game but this is a team that has this is a first year quarterback or first year starting quarterback under center a lot of young talent surrounding them a lot of pieces and like to be honest, just I think probably a good run of getting to this level and beyond sitting in front of them. Yeah, like I think the most aggravating thing about this game is that the reason that you were able to stay in it was that the talent is there. There's so many talented players, obviously headlined by Patrick Mahomes, but there's just no doubt that Andy Reid and the rest of his coaching staff were completely outclassed by Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, and even Tom Brady, who's kind of an on-the-field coaching set, like coach at this point, basically. Yeah. It's just like... Uh, like, you know, they kept you off the field so much. They dominated time possession. They just seemed to be one step ahead of you all the time. And, you know, like everyone wants Andy Reid to go to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if you want to do it, at some point you gotta you got to beat the time. you got to beat Bill Belichick. Uh, yeah, but, you're the in thing the is, but this is the thing. He has beaten Bill Belichick. And honestly, God, I do think a lot of this comes down to the fact that the defensive coordinator wasn't able to do jack shit in this game outside of the odd big play by the players themselves because of course they're going to find it easy to run it down your throats whenever your defense is now on the field for nearly its hundredth snap of the game when you've got a bad defensive coordinator who can't stop people and they know well actually we can just also tire them out because they don't have the personnel or the scheming to actually stop what we're doing Andy Reid can scheme up everything he wants on offense and I do think that they probably left a few bits on the field there but like if their defense is going to let them run a hundred plays and not be able to stop them then 
you can't win in that situation full stop. Like Mahomes can only score so many times. We've seen this season a couple of games where he scored 40 and lost, 45 and lost, scored over 50 points and lost because that defense isn't able to stop anyone. I think I saw a stat this week of like, I think he had three games where he came back in the fourth quarter to, to, to rally the team, to put them into a winning position. And every single time he's done that, the team has lost. And uh, to be fair, like I know, I know he doesn't really have it anymore. Uh, he didn't really, like I, I saw why they got cut him, and he probably doesn't have the like he did. He's obviously not in the league anymore for obvious reasons. But Derek Johnson, just having someone like around like that, who's yeah, just been in this. There's just there's not a natural leader on that defense. You kind of feel right now, no. some of these players could definitely become that. But like defensive line guys, really aren't the best suited for that. Eric Berry might be that if he gets a, a like a season to play there, but it just yeah. felt like. There was no one on that field right there who could do some of the adjustments for the coach. It was all like, we're here, we're doing this, and we can't really, like, New England are making a change, we don't know what we're doing, and then they end up getting blown out. So maybe having him around might have, might have been the worst thing in this game. But no, it was a very exciting game, very enjoyable to watch at the end. Uh, I think I've, I've, I've got a funny feeling that the AFC might, I've got a funny feeling that the this New England team might do a lot of damage in the next round, but also uh, quite happy looking forward to Kansas City Chiefs' future. I'm going to move on to questions from you, the listener. So first one comes in from Emmett, and he says, how quickly will everyone get sick of Saints fans being annoyed at the no-call? <laughs> uh, I think pretty fucking quickly, because people are already seem to be annoyed about it enough online to go, like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, like, they're buying billboards in Atlanta to complain about it there. They're like, as I said, re- like referring to the NFL rule book to say, no, you can definitely replay this game. Screw that. Like, I, like, I don't blame them for being aggrieved. It was like really blatant. And obviously the Saints, they're a team where you want Drew Brees to see they were lovable. I always, I had them as my Super Bowl pick and I kind of wanted them to win. But yeah, yeah like a good way to, uh, to, to run out goodwill is to just turn into the most whiny, like, oh my God, no call. Uh, like they didn't go our way refs screwed us etc like you know you've got to come back from this Drew Brees should hopefully still be okay next season but yeah like if you allow this to fester you're going to end up like you just need to look across your division rivals at the Atlanta Falcons and see what like these kind of decisions focusing on them can do to your situation although I know the Falcons was more a complete collapse due to their own ineffectiveness but same idea this, this, this is the thing that like yes that did a lot of damage to them but like they scored, let's see how many how many plays did that? So they had one. So let's just say from from the start of the second quarter onward, they scored a touchdown, punt, punt, field goal, interception. Yeah. Like like realistically, turn one of those punts into a field goal, turn that field goal into a touchdown. Don't get intercepted in overtime. Like a lot of the, a lot of the chat, and we actually have a question. It's our next question, which is about the overtime rules. Like that's that's an issue because we saw in the Chiefs game that, that you know Patrick Mahomes never got to touch the ball, right? And they go, oh, this is way too big an advantage. In this game, New Orleans Saints won the toss, took the football, and then threw a fucking interception. Like one of the teams that won and one of the teams that didn't, like got it in overtime because of that. Like there are many ways that New Orleans Saints could have won this game as well. And yes, it was a shitty decision. And yes, it was the bad call. And yes, everyone knows about that. You don't need to, one, keep harping on about it. But two, there are other factors that went into this. If you allow this to fester, you're only going to make things harder for your team going forward. Like, I know the media wouldn't let them ignore it anyway. But, like, like one of the issues I've always had with Sean Payton is that he, he isn't someone who necessarily lets things go. So he kind of kind of keeps grudges to a certain extent. Like, obviously, they came back this year stronger 
like they got one game further, but are they going to come back again and go one game further again? Like, hopefully, because they have so much talent, but not by focusing on this. Yeah, and as we mentioned there, there's the overtime rules. So this has been asked a couple of times, especially because the in the Chiefs-Pats game, the Pats got the ball uh, and then they drove down the field and the Chiefs never got to take the field again. To be honest, I don't know how you fix the overtime rules because I don't think I don't think guaranteeing both teams a possession is the necessarily the right call because as you'll see in college football where that's the rules, there's actually a huge statistical advantage to being the team who defers in that case because then you know exactly how much you need to score in a in a spot whether a field goal will be enough or not. But um, like, what's your take on this, Ronan? Like, are you do you think the overtime rules are okay as they are, or what do you reckon? Well, the the most fun situation would be like making a kick off kicking competition. Uh, to yeah, truly, I always like that. Yeah, tr- like, that'd be that'd be great fun. Like just just slowly but surely move it further and further back. Actually, that's a side note as well. Perfect weekend for kicks. Whenever you see like the Cody Parky stuff and all that kind of stuff, this is what gets you to these games. Championship Sunday, all twenty-one kicks for points and field goals. All yep. twenty-one were made. Not a single mistake. Um, shout out to Greg the Leg, fifty-seven yard to win the game for. Oh yeah, man. cold as ice. Yeah, and like look, the like the OT rules. Yes. I would, I would definitely suggest they're a little bit, like, like there could be changes you could suggest around the fringes. But right now, the simple fact is, is that the statistics show that you currently have around a 50-50 chance of winning either way. I think it's like 50% chance that you win, uh, something like 40-something percent chance. Yeah, 43%, I think, and then there's and like then, 7% or draws or yeah. something. So yeah. Like, there is maybe an argument to be made that the maybe you could change it for the like for the postseason. But if the if if you get this even distribution, then that's more or less what you're looking for. So any change yeah. would have to like the bar for what could be an adequate change and maintain that level of competitiveness is very high. And as you very as you very mentioned, even this like weekend is an empirical uh, yeah. evidence 50. Yeah. against uh, the idea of like reacting too strongly to that. I know it does suck from a narrative point of view because. You know, people talked about Patrick Mahomes here, Aaron Rodgers uh, the year after they won the Super Bowl, I believe, Matt Ryan when he had a like who had a really good season. But like, like yeah. I know it sucks that these great quarterbacks don't get a chance to to win it for their team. But that's what we have the other like three hours to do. That's it. Like just so, do it. Like you know, you you gotten to the point where it's tied, so just literally be one point better the next time. I was actually I I was saying it from the get go. Whenever they um whenever the Saints scored the touchdown. Uh, early on in the game to go to 13 points up I was screaming at them to just go for two I said why wouldn't you what's the what like outside of the a touchdown and two field goals ties the game what's what's the disadvantage of going for two to make it 14 and then they'd be one point better off going into the into the final section but yeah um so I hope that answers that was uh Brian Steve and Catherine asked that uh this one comes in from Doug and he says how after going 11 and 0 in coin tosses this year can the Chiefs let it slip away like that was the coin toss too big for them Yes, it was. I'm sure that's what it was. So the Chiefs lost the, the coin toss for the overtime. Yes, very good point. Yes, that we had all of those winning <laughs> coin tosses earlier on, and now we don't. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we really need to... That's what we need to practice in the off-season. We need to get a, it's a tough regime of, of figuring out the likelihood. And uh, finally, this one comes in from Dave, and it says, does Sean Payton now have to return all that money and the trophy that he brought into the uh, into the... <laughs> changing room or does he get to keep it uh, i don't know i don't i imagine he has to return it i i think he has to return the money but perhaps yeah. that fake trophy will like show up on a mantle place somewhere in tanzania along with all the super bowl 
uh, we're going to the Super Bowl jerseys and stuff. Yeah, that'll be great. Like he'll need to like send it to the furthest court. Like it'll end up in like a a porch in like an Antarctica research base, so no. that no one will ever see it again. Like the one, um, the one that I'd be intrigued though, because I saw the videos of it last week, uh, when they won the game last week. You probably saw this as well. They did up the inside of the changing rooms and everything like a nightclub, and they were having a party in the changing rooms. Yeah. Like, do you think they had that set up to do it again, and then they just had like the world's most depressing nightclub? <laughs> I've been in some pretty depressing nightclubs, but uh, yeah, it was probably pretty bad. I'm not sure. Uh, like. They have black uniforms, so I'm not really sure about the idea of having a, a nightclub anyway. They probably just bump into each other. No, but, uh, of course, of course. Yeah, it's a bit of a, yeah, like, they, they obviously went all in, and they're a very hype team, and Sean Payton's obviously a very lively coach, but then, you know, you kind of see this, and you're like, well, that's all great until you lose, and then suddenly it's extra depressing. No, of course. And um, with that, we'll move on to look at the games for next week. So this is the biggest one of all, uh, the Pro Bowl. This is... Uh... It's the whole kit and caboodle here, AFC versus NFC. Yeah, who you got? What 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 are you looking forward to most? Well, you know, mostly the most important positions on the field: punting, of course. Michael Dixon, my boy. All the Tressway truthers, you can screw it. He's in the Pro Bowl. <laughs> he's in the All Pro. He's the best punter in the league. Suck it. Obviously, yeah. fullback play. Anthony Sherman, I assume, will be uh Hanging around. Oh, it's, it's, I, I think I think all of them apart from I think Kelsey's not going, but apparently like he's he's just he he's not very happy well, with the. Well, he's so hyped, you know, like you know he's got a mm. whole McDonald's ad about being so hyped. He just I don't think he could take like the the, the pressure on himself, you know. No, of course. So <laughs> I'm I, like the thing is this is the this is the best game of the year. These are the best players, and to an extent, I don't even feel qualified enough to really. Give it the kind of analysis that it deserves. I know I'm siding with the AFC. Like, no, that's fair. Like it's gonna have all those Chiefs players now looking for the ultimate prize. Like you gotta, gotta support them. Like this is the thing. Like we just knew. We knew in our heart of hearts that like, look, we can win a Super Bowl any year, right? We can have that whenever we want. But a Pro Bowl now that <laughs> that's the kind the of pro- thing that you know people remember in ten years time, twenty pa- years time. Patrick Mahomes, Pro Bowl MVP of dodgeball. <laughs> Well, yeah, obviously all those things, but also of the game itself. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Be... But it'll be interesting because I have seen a couple of ones about like how you have good fun down there and you get the coaching. Also, to be honest, like, the NFC are fucked because their coach is Jason Garrett. Yeah, like, it'll be pretty... They'll probably take it like kind of serious and be pretty boring. Whereas mm. Anthony Lynn, who is the head coach for the AFC, he's yeah. going like, to have Patrick Mahomes. He's got like, oh, my God, this is... This is a bit... Like, I love Philip Rivers. He's great, but this guy, wow. <laughs> he just throws so far. Yeah, it's going to be great, crack now. Um, just like street, like just like go to the, just like target hill to the end zone every time. Yeah, just 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 four verticals on constant rotation. That's it. Like just just keep running in fresh legs. Yeah, like obviously at the moment they like it's kind of hard to know who exactly be on the roster because certain players they can't handle the pressure and they drop yeah. out. But at least as well because New England aren't in it, it won't be like everyone at once. That's nice. I think mm-hmm. the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs will. They'll, they'll keep up mostly their end of the bargain, and that's fine. Yeah, um, I think so. The Saints. Most of them will probably show up as well. But uh, yeah, it should be a great game, and I'll definitely be staying up for it. Yeah, no, I'll definitely be giving it a gander. I want to see actually what day the uh, the kicker tic tac toe is on, because that's always a great competition as well. Yeah, those those yeah something to put in the background while NFC and yeah. NFC to win the kicker tic tac toe because uh, as I was discussing with uh, our Bears friend Alan. 
the other day, uh, should I say the other day, on Sunday night when we were watching the games, Cody Parkey should go and be the NFC entry because they can go off a couple of the uprights and actually get a straight line in a single go by just going like bonk, bonk, bonk. Yeah. He could win the tic-tac-toe in a single kick. You'll have Mitch Tiddy for support now. I think he's one of the late call-ups. But yeah, so I'm going AFC, you're going NFC, are you? Yeah, well, the, the superior punting unit means they have to win. Oh, yeah, but... I don't know, because I remember... I don't think your long snapper is that good. Ah, well, look, like, a great punter can overcome a long snapper. You can always just run for 80 yards, whatever. Like, he, he showed some of that against the the, the the Lions during the season, I think. He's like an Aussie rules. He's, he's, he has a background in Aussie rules. He should be fine. Very good, very good. So, apart from that, any other crack with yourself? Any plans for the next couple of days? It's pretty quiet. Like, it'll be the first, uh, first weekend with only a single game. That'll be pretty mm. late, so kind of have to start to remember what what Sundays are like without football. It's gonna be interesting. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I'm gonna do uh, this weekend. I've got a lump of uh, study bits to do because I'll have Monday and Tuesday booked off. Or I've got another assignment due, and at that point, so fun times. Uh, but then I will be. I think at that point, I'm like two thirds or three quarters of the way through my course. So pretty happy at that. Achievements unlocked. Oh, yeah. Slowly but surely getting there. Surely but surely getting there. But, yeah, and then I suppose we'll just be getting ourselves all geared up then for the following week for the infinitely, it's going to be a letdown following the Pro Bowl. But, you know, it's still pretty good, the Super Bowl, between the uh, New England Patriots and the LA Rams. Uh, revenge game for 2002, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> the, the dynasty started there. Will it end there next? Oh. Says all of the, like... Says, yeah, every single fucking commentator in the world. Yeah. This obviously wasn't the most narrative-rich no. storyline. This, this, this was this was the least good storyline-wise, I think, of the four. Like, like I've got to be honest. Like, like at least New England create good Super Bowls usually. Mm-hmm. So we got that to look forward to. Whether you want either team to win, as long as New England manage to make it another spectacle, I think we'll be okay with it. Yeah, I think we'll be fine. But I suppose that'll do us for this week. As always, if you have questions, get them to us on Facebook, on Twitter, Google, all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, it's bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from all four quarters. This has uh, been pretty fun. And onwards to the best game of all, Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl hype! Pro Bowl hype!